Welcome back to the Chelsea Overseas Podcast, episode 52. In this episode, we'll recap Canada's final World Cup match against Panama and look ahead to Chelsea's games against Bradford and Real Madrid. First of all, though, before we get started, as we speak, the World Cup draw has just concluded and Panama have, sorry, not Panama, Canada have been placed in Group F with Morocco, Belgium, and Croatia. So, how is that group looking for you, Adam? Good, good, very good. I I had said it on the last episode, I believe, that I wanted one of two things to happen. I wanted either to get Qatar from pot one or to get Croatia or Uruguay or Switzerland from pot two. And then I wanted one giant. And that's that's exactly what happened, right? We got the giant in Belgium. And then we got Croatia from pot two, who I think we match up really well against. And then from pot three, we we got Morocco, which isn't that bad. Morocco's a good team, but from pot three, I think it was really key to avoid Senegal and Serbia. And also you'd like to avoid Robert Lewandowski in Poland. So I think Morocco's a pretty good draw from there. But yeah, I think when you look at this group, like Belgium are the favorites, obviously. I look at Croatia and they were the team that I had eyed from pot two that could I felt match up well with Canada. And I was very critical of them at the Euros because for all the possession they had, and you know, Kovacic and Modric will dominate a lot of games territorially, but at the top of the pitch, that firepower wasn't quite there. And then a lot of teams could hurt them in transition. It's a bit of an aging back line. And I think this young Canadian team that can be very comfortable in kind of a mid to low block and be very well organized defensively can really, when they win the ball in midfield, break quickly, be direct and hurt Croatia in behind. Canada's a team that doesn't need a lot of possession and chances to hurt you. And I think that's what's going to serve them well against Croatia. So I think, and, and, and I think Morocco's beatable too. I think Canada has a bit more quality than them in, in forward areas, but Morocco are are a well-balanced team too. That'll be a difficult one. And so will Croatia, obviously. They're a good European team. But what I like about this group is that there's there's a way out of it, right? We're not, like, when, when we're watching the draw, we were watching it and we were saying, like, avoid the France and Denmark group, avoid the Spain and Germany, because you really don't feel like there's a way out of that, right? But in this one, you're being challenged at a really high level, Right? It's going to be really hard to get out of this group. But at the same time, you think this Canadian team could cause these teams problems. And even if we don't get out of it, we can be extremely competitive. So I think this is a really promising and good group for Canada. Absolutely. I would have to agree in the fact that I didn't want a group that's quote-unquote really, really simple, right? If we take a look at the group A, for example, which is arguably one of the weakest opening groups I've ever seen, but... <clears throat> Do you have Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands in that group? And if we were in this group, we I personally think we may be favorites for second place in that group. But it's a group where there's more chances of getting out of the group than getting eliminated in the group stages. In this current group F, it's not we're not the favorites to get out of the group, I would say, but we can still definitely cause some problems and I want this Canadian team to be challenged at the highest level. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I didn't really want, this is the World Cup, right? I didn't really want something, you know, like, I didn't really want like Qatar, Croatia, Tunisia, and Canada, right? I I want, 
like I really like this group because we got a real heavyweight in Belgium. You got two really good teams in Croatia and Morocco. Despite what I said about Croatia, this is still a top team, right? With players littered around the best clubs in Europe. So I just think that Canada could really match up with Costa Rica and give them a real game. So I think, or sorry, can match up well with Croatia and give them a real game. So I think, I think this is good. Canada are really going to be challenged. I agree that they're not the favorites, but this Canadian team thrives when they're not the favorites. They thrive on the big occasion. And I, I think this is really good because they won't be the favorites, but they're going to be really competitive. And you can feel that there's a way out of it for Canada if they're at their absolute best. Absolutely. And honestly, just hoping that Canada will do well in this World Cup. But speaking of World Cup, we have to recap the game against Panama. An underwhelming 1-0 defeat, Adam, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a bit underwhelming. I think I think um, we struggled a bit with, with Panama's press in terms of playing out of it. And I mean, you could... I, I'm... I think it's a bit difficult after the high on Sunday to kind of bring totally bring yourself back down to earth. I think that's a bit difficult for anyone. So there's a, there's a, you know, I understand that. And, and Canada, I felt did deserve a draw. I think there were some big chances, obviously the Laranoff side, David had a real chance. So, and they didn't give up much defensively. I felt Canada were very well organized defensively. It was a really precise delivery and finish from Panama that they scored. But I think, I think really it was the problems in possession. There were a lot of moments where I felt Canada couldn't... I don't, I don't think the Cavallini and David partnership quite worked. I think Cavallini wanted the ball in his feet, whereas when we have Laren there, Laren at times wants to go a bit more in behind and cause problems in behind the defense. I, I think Cavallini didn't offer enough of that, and that's not him as a player, so that's not his main attribute, but... I don't think that partnership worked as well because David wants to come deeper and I think you need someone else who's going to look to really get him behind the defense and Cavallini, Cavallini doesn't really give you that. And then I felt like really Canada's midfield, I think they just weren't precise enough. There were a lot of times where we could really hurt Panama in transition and get him behind them, but a lot of ball losses in midfield and really struggling to play through Panama's pressure and Herdman changed the shape to a 4-4-2 made his subs but we were never really able to find that constant rhythm and really that precision in our passing to hurt Panama yeah and I think that could be contributed to Panama's really aggressive style of play right this also happened similarly against El Salvador in January where both teams playing really aggressively on the ball and Canada just wasn't able to like get the chances that they needed right especially in the passing in the midfield as you mentioned and you can't entirely blame the canadian team here they are already qualified and i think as you mentioned they're they're still on that like oh my gosh we qualified kind of high right and yeah i just think that it was a bit of an underwhelming performance but we qualified we're still at the top of the table and i'm happy with that speaking of being at the top of the table how significant is it that this Canadian team that was 
kind of looked down upon before entering this qualifying stage is now the best of CONCACAF. Yeah, it's extremely significant. I think, like, obviously the Panama game, it was a loss, but in the end it didn't matter. It made no difference. It made a difference with the pots, but as you saw today, the draw wasn't even that bad in pot four. So it, it didn't make a difference at all. Didn't make a difference in terms of coming first. So really the loss against Panama didn't matter. And to finish top of the table, obviously the U.S. lost against Costa Rica, which helped us out to finish top. Incredible. Incredible to finish in first. This is a real statement of intent to Mexico and United States. CONCACAF no longer has a big two. They have a big three. We're here. And in future Nations Leagues and Gold Cups, Mexico and U.S. better watch out because this Canadian team, with everything they're doing... At the club level, the doors open in Europe. Like I'd said last episode, the revenue, sponsorship opportunities that are going to come for being at the World Cup. There's a real stability and structure moving forward now for Canada. And if you're Mexico or US, you're definitely thinking, oh, geez, here comes, here comes another one. And it's not only the two of you now. Canada are here. So to be the kings of CONCACAF and come first was was really special and in the end the most important thing was qualifying but to come first was a real bonus and something that I didn't expect and I'm extremely extremely happy with and when you look back on this qualifying to come first it makes it even sweeter so extremely happy with that yeah I would have to completely agree in the fact that as I was watching Canadian football growing up and watching these like World Cup qualifyings and stuff. I always thought to myself, like, well, when is Canada going to be up there as well, right? And then to see that moment being lived out now as one of the best teams, if not the best team in CONCACAF, it's, it's truly an amazing feeling. And I'll be able to finally see Canada at the World Cup competing at such a high level. And I was going to say that it would finishing top of the table could have been more significant if we um, got into pot three but as you mentioned before the draw isn't even as bad as we thought it would be we avoided the group of death and we have a way out of this group now who is the mvp of the qualifying for you let's start with mvp against the panama game even though it might be a bit tough to call i want to know your opinion for the Panama Games MVP and overall qualifying MVP. Yeah, so my my player of the match against Panama was Stefan Estacchio. I thought he was really good, as usual. And I'll go to the MVP of qualifying because it's the same person for me, and it's Stefan Estacchio. I think he has been... It's It's very hard to pick from this team because everyone's been good. There's been a collective effort. And it's very hard to pick one player. But I think if you want to look at who's been the absolute most consistent over 14 matches, who's played a lot of minutes, who's played well in every match, never really put a, a wrong foot in, that's Stefan Estacchio. And I think in that central midfield role, he has been extremely key. And I don't really know if Canada would be the same without him, because if Stefan Estacchio wasn't there, you're putting a lot of minutes on Atiba Hutchinson, who can't play every game. Then you're down to Mark Anthony Kay. 
Then you have Frazier, Piet. Those players don't have the same quality that Stefan Estacchio has. He is a maestro in, in midfield. And I think he has been the definition of consistency. So I'd go with him. But I think there's other names like Boyan, like Laren, like Johnston that really, you know, I can't disagree with either. Yeah. As for the Panama game, for me, my MVP has to go to Alistair Johnson. I think he's definitely saved Canada from a lot of goal-scoring opportunities from the um, Panamanian side. And he he kept Canada in the game despite a somewhat lackluster performance from this Canadian team. And for the qualifying, it's it's really hard to pinpoint one person as the MVP since this team... It, yes, it does have standout players like Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, but it's more of how how well this team played together as a solid unit. You can take players like Milan Boria, you can take like Stephanie Stacchio, like you mentioned, but I'm going to go with Stephanie Stacchio as well. I just think he's been too good. He's been too consistent for this Canadian squad and as you mentioned, I I just don't think that this roster would be the same without him. There are other names as well, like Buchanan, Jonathan David, Kyle Laren as well, but I'm going to go with Estakio as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think too, for these teams who are going to play Canada, if I had to give them a piece of advice, I'd say you have to take note of two things. Number one, Canada don't need many chances to score or possession. So you have to have a really good plan for counterattacking situations. Number two, a good way to stop it is Stefan Estacchio because everything goes through him. And a, a, a lot of our ways of starting transitions from deeper positions is Stefan Estacchio really just spraying the ball to Buchanan or Davies or into the feet of Laren or David. He, and all he needs is a second. All he needs is just two seconds to get his head up. Just a few touches. That's all he needs. And he could really hurt you. And all of a sudden, your center backs are running towards goal with a ball over the top that's in behind them. So I think he's been really key. And those are, I, I think for these World Cup teams, you can't, you, you, you shouldn't take Canada lightly. Definitely. They're, they're a team of spirit, but they're a team that really don't need, they don't need many chances to hurt you. And that's a good tournament team in that, for that. And uh, yeah, I think it's been one heck of a qualifying. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to Qatar and we're, I'm going to be, uh, I can't wait to talk about the World Cup in November. Yeah, absolutely. But now shifting our focus back to club matches now, um, international break now being over. And now we have to shift our focus towards the Brentford game for Chelsea. And th it's it's kind of a weird spot for Brentford because they had such an incredible start to the season, you know, beating Arsenal in the very first game of the season. And now they're fighting for survival. Um, do, do you think that this Brentford team will stay in the Premier League? Well, I think they will. Um, I think the, the really good start to the season has helped them a little bit with the kind of shaky run. They did get a few key wins. I know they beat uh, Norwich and Burnley, I believe it was, before the international break. I think they'll be fine. I think they've built enough of a buffer. 
I know Watford, Norwich, they have games in hand, Burnley also, but I really don't see those teams putting a run together. I think I think Brentford will be fine. And I hope they stay in the league because I think Thomas Frank's done a really good job. I think they're a really fun team to watch. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'd like them to stay and I think they will. I have to agree. Um, they're, I believe, in 15th position right now in the Premier League. And they're eight points ahead of Watford, who, yes, they do have a game in hand, but I believe it's against Liverpool today. <laughs> I believe that's the case. So I think I think Brentford will be fine. And I'd like to see them stay up as well, because they've been an interesting and I just think they're a fun team to stay in the Premier League, you know, with such a small fan base as well, but a really passionate and loyal fan base. And I just want to see them succeed, honestly. Now, keys to the game. Um, do you think set pieces will be an important part of this game? Yeah, well, I think when you look back on the reverse fixture where we won 1-0 through a Chilwell rocket. Man, I miss Chilwell. But um, yeah, one of the keys, I remember we dominated the game for 60 minutes. Played played quite well. Had a lot of control in midfield. Brentford kind of sat back. It was pretty easy to to have a lot of possession. But once they kind of came at us, really, and started to press us, one of the, the biggest, like a lot of the scares for Chelsea came on set pieces, and it was through Brentford's directness. A lot of balls into the box, a lot of long throw-ins, and it's not it's getting that first contact and then fighting really hard for the second ball uh, that, that Brentford really benefit on. And, and they got a bit of height, too, on the back line, and... They're a pretty physical team too. I think, I think that's something that Chelsea has to deal with a bit better because it should have hurt them in the reverse fixture. Mendy pulled off a couple amazing saves. I think this time around you have to really have a plan for that because I felt on set pieces last time that was really Brentford's best avenue. I didn't really think they were going to hurt us in open play. It was more just the directness of of Brentford that put our backline under pressure. So I think that's something you have to watch out for. Couldn't agree with you more there, Adam. Now, starting 11 predictions. I believe that this is one of our most fun segments. <laughs> but the starting 11 prediction against Brentford. Keep in mind that we also have a Real Madrid game later on in the week. But yeah, I'd like to hear predictions, Adam. Okay, so... Uh, I know the injury news. Obviously, Chilwell's out. Kalamatsu-Nodoi is out too. He should be back soon, though. I'm hearing he's back in training. It's just not ready for Brentford. But my lineup against Brentford, what I have is I went for kind of like we saw against Middlesbrough, like a 4-3-3, 4-1-4-1, call it what you want. And my goalkeeper was obviously Edward Mendy. And then my back four is Alonso, Rudiger, Christensen, and Aspilicueta. Thiago Silva was on international break, hence why I didn't uh, pick him. And then my midfield three is Jorginho, Kovacic, Mount. I think I think we should have most of the possession against Brentford, so I think Jorginho could be really useful. Mount making deep runs from midfield can um, really hurt Brentford too. And then, obviously, Mateo Kovacic can break the lines, as usual, and, and really run out of defense and progress the ball into the attacking third. And then my front three, 
I went for Werner, Havertz, and Ziyech. And one of the keys why I went with this system too is I feel like a lot of teams that have sat back against Chelsea, they've struggled with this combination on the right-hand side when we play in this system with Mount, Aspie, and Ziyech. We tend to overload the right-hand side, and Ziyech in particular really benefits with the back four and having the overlapping runs from Aspilicueta. And Mount provides an overload too on that side and really kind of outnumbers the opposition. So that that was my thinking behind that. But I think we should have most of the ball against Brentford, but I think the directness of Brentford is what that our back line has to worry about most. Yeah. And okay. And for me, I've gone with Mendy in goal. I've gone with SP, Rudiger, Christensen, and Alonso in the back. I've gone with kind of a similar setup of a 4-3-3-4-1-4-1. And as you mentioned, you know, Thiago Silva came back from international break. I think you rest him and you play him against Real Madrid. Uh, I've gone with Kovacic, Jorginho, and Ziyech. I think you can play Ziyech on like more forward and you can place Mount a bit back. I think it's interchangeable, honestly. And then Mount, Werner, and Havertz up front for me. So we have pretty similar lineups, I think. Yeah. One thing to keep an eye on, too, is Christian Pulisic just came back with the United States, so... He's a doubt for Saturday, and honestly, I'd rather keep him for Wednesday. Yeah, so moving, before we move on, there's I think there's one more thing. Um, Like with Chelsea pretty much securing a top four position, do you think that they kind of lay back a little bit on the Premier League and then they focus more on the FA Cup and making a run in the Champions League? Or do you think they should solidify the third position before doing so? Yeah, I think I think our lead's kind of good enough. I, I think we need like four more wins to clinch top four. So I don't think it's really that big of a worry. I think if you're Thomas Tuchel, like, while Manchester City and Liverpool are going to be very much going all in on the Premier League, I do think you you really prioritize the Champions League and the FA Cup, UCL especially. I think it gives you an opportunity to really kind of make your rotations. We have a big squad too, so we can do it. You know, and there's room for a few draws. It's not like we have to win all these games in the Premier League. So I think there's a real opportunity to kind of make the changes you need to make. Don't risk anything in the Premier League games and really go all out in the UCL. Yeah, I agree. Make a deep run in the European football and for to kind of make up for, I wouldn't say a disappointing domestic campaign, but it's definitely a little bit less than what we expected, right? I expected Chelsea to be in the title race with City and Liverpool, and I think they've solidified third place in the Premier League. I think that that's pretty much a lock for Chelsea, but not being able to compete with City and Liverpool at the very top could be offset by a deep run made in the Champions League, I think. Speaking of the Champions League now, here's the big game. Chelsea and Spanish Giants, Real Madrid. So I want to hear your thoughts on who you think is the favorite going into this match. Well, I think it's the most even out of the four uh, quarterfinals. But I, I do think it has to be Chelsea. I I don't think Real Madrid were the team that won those three Champions Leagues in a row. They're a team that knows how to do it. They have it in their DNA, the Champions League. 
more than any other club. And a lot of these players have it in their DNA. But Chelsea have a bit of it too now. And I think I think it has to be Chelsea. I, I, I really do think that Real Madrid shouldn't have beat PSG. And I think Chelsea are a lot more balanced than PSG too. And I don't think they'll crumble like PSG did. I think that Chelsea's kind of a team you don't want to go behind against. Right? Because then when Chelsea get into that transitional game and you give them space too for, to hurt you, like with Havertz and Mount or Pulisic or whoever, even Timo Werner, it could be a real handful. And I think the balance that Chelsea has and and the experience now and the ability to just get the job done in knockout games. They know Chelsea are a very kind of street smart team in knockout games too in terms of their, their game management. And Thomas Tuchel's kind of built a bit of that. And I just think... That Chelsea are very balanced. I think that they have the, the quality to stop Real Madrid. There to stop Real Madrid's attacking players, and I think really this game is won and lost in midfield, and I think that's where Chelsea have the biggest upper hand. So I, I think Chelsea are the favorites, but definitely, like it's it's not like Chelsea aren't the definite favorites. You know, it's it's more, it's the most even quarterfinal, I think, out of the four. Yeah, completely agree with you here, Adam. I think this quarterfinal is, I think, the most entertaining. I say that as a City fan, but this is going to be the most entertaining quarterfinal. Both teams really evenly matched. And I don't think there's a clear favorite. I think that Chelsea are slightly more favored than Real Madrid, but, you know, Real Madrid, they're Real Madrid. I think Pretty sure they're still at top of the La Liga. Obviously, thanks a little bit credit due to Barcelona's poor start to the season. But, yeah, they're still top of the La Liga. But against the PS, against that PSG team, if it weren't for a Karim Benzema heroic performance, they wouldn't even be here to start with, right? And PSG, they kind of looked kind of disoriented. Kind of, they didn't really know what, what to do specifically. And... I think Chelsea being a really organized squad and having a game plan going into each game, I think I think they'll be fine against Real Madrid. Now, what worked last year against Madrid? Because we've seen this matchup before. Yeah, well, I think last year, really, it was midfield where I think Chelsea had the biggest upper hand. And it was you know, mainly in part two in Golo Kante and Jorginho in there too in both legs. Bacros, Modric, Casemiro, these are players that are going to have a lot of the ball. But they found it really difficult with Jorginho and N'Golo Kante in that midfield area, Mason Mount dropping in there too, to progress the ball into the attacking third and give the likes of you know Vinicius Jr., Sensio, Rodrigo, Benzema, whoever, a lot of opportunities. And the compactness that Chelsea have in their defense when, they, when they're in their shape, and in their structure, they're very organized. And it was very difficult for Madrid's midfield to hurt Chelsea. And when there were ball losses in midfield, that's where Chelsea pounced went with Conte, with Jorginho. And they were able to really hurt Real Madrid in transition. A lot of Chelsea's opportunities came in transition. So that's mainly what worked for me. I think the organization defensively and the ability to get tight to those Real Madrid midfielders 
and progress the ball quickly after we won it and get in behind Real Madrid and create chances. I think that's that's really what worked. And I don't want to jinx it, but I think like Chelsea, again, like I said, they're the sort of team that you you don't really want to go behind against in a knockout game. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> that was perfect. That is exactly what I thought of as well. But we have to talk about the two biggest players on each each team. Obviously, for Chelsea, I do believe it is Nagol Kante and Jorginho and keeping that ball in the midfield. But for Real Madrid, I believe it's Toni Kroos, Modric, and obviously Karim Benzema being the biggest threat of this Madrid squad. So how do Chelsea contain Benzema, assuming that he plays? Well, it's interesting because last year, I say we did such a good job with Real Madrid's midfield. Benzema still found a way to get some chances, right? But that's Kareem Benzema. He has elite movement. He'll create something out of nothing, right? And even if he doesn't have the, you know, the greatest amount of service, he'll find a way, whether it's, you know, forcing Mendy to pull off an awesome save from outside the box in that second leg last year, you know, whether it was the goal he scored in the first leg kind of comes out of nothing, Right, it was a great goal that he scored. So Kareem Benzema is the sort of player that even if he doesn't have the most service, he is a very well-rounded and elite striker that's going to create chances for himself, really. And But I think if, if Chelsea, in order to limit that, really, I think, I think you've got to stop the service into, into him as much as you can. And I think this battle's really... I think the midfield is so key, and I, I keep saying it, but... I really do, because Modric, Kroos, Casemiro, that's an elite midfield, but I don't think it's a, it's a, at I don't think it's as elite as it once was. Still think it's very good, but I really do think, you know, with Conte able to cover so much ground in that area, I'm sure Kovacic will play in these games. Last year I remember he had an injury during these games. This year he'll play. It's so much energy in that midfield area and so much pace in terms of when we win that ball we can cause so many problems for Real Madrid in between their midfield and defense and and put their center backs under pressure so I, I think I think we have to have kind of the same pressure in midfield that we did last year in order to limit the chances for Real Madrid because if Modric, Casemiro, Kroos are able to really dominate this game it'll just give more chances for Kareem Benzema. And that's the last thing you want. Yeah, I think Benzema, despite having so many goal-scoring opportunities, he's not someone that needs a lot of service. He could, he, he'll he still be able to find a way and get some shots on target. And containing Benzema starts with the midfield, right? Starts with Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante, just keeping the ball, right? Not letting Real Madrid like give the ball to Benzema, right? So I think uh, Chelsea's midfield will have to be the key here in this game to contain Karim Benzema. But here we are again with starting eleven predictions and another another thing tying in with the Brentford game, keeping in mind that there's that game before this Real Madrid game. But I'm assuming. Chelsea want to play their absolute best lineup for this game. So who do you think starting this game? Yeah, well, I have 
I went back to our usual formation, the 3-4-3. Actually, I'm going to make a last-minute change. I'm going to go with 3-5-2. And I will have Mendy in goal. I'll have Rudiger, Thiago, and Aspie at the back. Alonzo and Reese James at right wing back. Reese James should be back like in time to face Brentford. I just thought, let's not take any risks. So we'll play him against Real Madrid. And I'm going to go with all three of them in midfield. Kante, Kovacic, Jorginho. I think it's really key that that those three match up with Casem- Casemiro, Kroos, Modric. And I think with those three in there, Kovacic, Kante in particular can really have the energy and the pace to break forward and cause Real Madrid a lot of problems. And then I think the front two, Pulisic, Havertz. Pulisic is in great form right now. He was playing really well with us before the international break. Played well on the international break with the United States. An informed Pulisic is a must-start for me. And he was brilliant against Real Madrid last year. Scored a great goal in the uh, first leg. That ball over the top from Rudiger where brilliant composure from Pulisic and scores. And then Kai Havertz who offers a lot of movement and... um, getting behind the defense comes short and link play up kind of can give you a bit of everything as usual I think that combination can really work with Pulisic and Averitt so and obviously with Reese James on the right that that's a real problem for Real Madrid because now you have elite deliveries into the box and you also have someone who could really match Vinicius Jr. one-on-one so I think I think that would work I hope it does but that would be my preferred 11. Yeah. My 11, I've also gone with a back three for this game. I've gone with Mendy in goal. I've gone with SP, Rudiger, and Thiago Silva. And then obviously Alonso on the left and Reese James on the right. And then I've gone for Kovacic, Kante, and Jorginho. I've gone with all three of them because I just think that this midfield battle is so important in this game that you kind of need all three of them to play. And I've gone with Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. I think that granted Pulisic is well rested enough. He could definitely play this game, but if he, if he's not, you know, you just play Mount, it's fine. But I think that Mount will come on either as a sub or starting and same with Pulisic for that matter. Yeah, it's really hard to not put Mount in just because of how marvelous he was last year in the UCL run. But um, yeah, I I do I could see three in midfield with Jorginho. What I could also see too is even if Mount kind of slides into midfield too and makes it a three-man midfield, right? That That's also an option for Thomas Tuchel. And there were times last year even where Tuchel even during games, just switched it a bit and dropped Mason Mount in there just for some extra cover. So that's always an option too. This Real Madrid midfield is so technically gifted, right? And um, it'll be difficult, but I think this game last year was one in transition for us, and I think we could hurt them again. So it's a big UCL quarterfinal. If we could do back-to-back, that would be... Wow, I don't even know what I'd say to that, but <laughs> I hope we can do it and one step at a time. Hopefully, we can start this, start this first leg off with a win and give us someone to protect going into the second leg. Yeah, and I think that also ties into the fact that Chelsea's 
squad is incredibly flexible. You know, if you play Pulisic, you're leaving like Mount and like Hakim Ziyech on the bench. So this squad that's really flexible, you can, you know, make mid-game, ad- mid-game adaptations if something's not working or if you want to play a bit more passively. Just because of the nature of this Chelsea squad that's incredibly flexible and can do whatever Thomas Tuchel kind of wants to, essentially, right? So having that flexibility and not letting Benzema get as many chances, you can't stop Benzema because he's Karim Benzema, but you can contain him as much as you can with you know the midfield battles that we've mentioned before. And I think also containing some of Vinicius Jr.'s attacks, as well as Rodrigo on the right. It's going to be a long day for Marcus Alonso, I think. But I think Chelsea will be fine in the long run. Next week, we'll be back to recap Canada's sorry, Chelsea's games against Brentford and Real Madrid, and we'll be previewing their games against Southampton and the second leg of the quarterfinal against Real Madrid. All right, thank you for listening. We're going to a World Cup. Go Chelsea. Peace.